Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Indefensive Plants podcast, the official podcast of indefensiveplants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How is everyone doing this week? I've got a topic today that is going to reveal a group of relatively obscure plants to a much wider audience, and as you're going to hear, it is much needed because they're amazing. We are talking about the genus Cryptantha, which is a member of the Forget-Me-Not family, Baraginaceae, and joining us to talk about this is one of Cryptantha's biggest fans, Dr. Mackenzie Mabry. She is carving out a wonderful career in trying to understand the evolutionary relationships of these plants as well as a lot of big questions about how they've ended up where they are in the world. I don't want to spoil any of her thunder. She is truly passionate about these plants, and it is such a joy to talk with her about them. So let's just jump right into it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Mackenzie Mabry. I hope you enjoy. All right, Dr. Mackenzie Mabry, welcome to the podcast. I am super excited to talk to you about these plants today. But first, how about an introduction? Tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm like really honored to be here and super excited to have the opportunity to talk about Cryptantha because something near and dear to my heart. But um, I, like you said, I'm Mackenzie Mabry, and I am currently a postdoctoral researcher at the Florida Museum of Natural History at the University of Florida. And I'm working in the labs of um, doctors Pamela and Douglas Soltis. So uh, I've kind of moved across country, so I'll work back in time, <laughs> kind of the opposite way towards the West Coast where I came from. But I um, completed my PhD at the University of Missouri with Dr. Dr. Chris Pierce, and then I started, did, did my master's and my undergraduate work at San Diego State. Oh, nice! Uh, in California, so I'm originally from California, so I'm a long way from home. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> at this point, you're about but, um, opposite yeah, corners weird. of the continent. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but California and San Diego State is where um, all of this got started, and my interest in Cryptantha started. <laughs> Right on. And it's a really cool group. We're going to peel back the layers on this amazing genus. But was it always plants for you? Or did that just kind of happen when you were looking at sort of education, career opportunities, that sort of thing? Or, you know, when did it all begin? Yeah, um, it was actually took me by surprise. I didn't really see it coming. So during undergrad, I did my undergraduate again at San Diego State. I was actually on the cross country and track team. Oh, So there's not a lot of extra time for research. (laughs) I tried to do some, but um, we weren't really encouraged to do too much Mm. like extracurricular outside of running, of course. Um, And then I, my senior year, my roommate wanted to take this plant taxonomy course and it was at 8am and she's like, I don't feel comfortable riding my bike in the morning. Please, please, please take this class with me. (laughs) And I said, Oh, sure. I wow. guess so. The instructor of the class had taught one of our like lower division classes and was just amazing. So I was like, okay, well, it has to be a good class because hmm. he was so good. Okay. And so I signed up and then found myself like three years later in his lab as a master's student. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is got to be one of the coolest accidents in someone's (laughs) scientific career like please take this often troublesome class with me okay yeah so I was actually pre-vet um oh wow so I was like 
got into vet school, um, my master's advisor, who is Dr. Michael Simpson, who we'll talk about a lot since he is like Katantha Godfather, <laughs> um, he uh, um, wrote like a letter of rec for oh, wow. my veterinary school application. And so when I didn't go to vet school and I was like, can I come volunteer in your lab? He was quite surprised as well. <laughs> Gotcha. No more vertebrates and bones for you. It's shedding feather and fur for leaves. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And so how did the cryptantha bent go? I mean, was it obviously working in that lab probably set the stage, but like you don't just jump into a group like that without having some passion of your own, right? Yeah. You know, I think really in that class and honestly, like there cannot be said enough credit for Dr. Simpson for, for Mike. Um, he is just like a really, his enthusiasm for plants is contagious. And hmm. so I think it was, when I look back at it, I think the like stage had been set. My aunt was also a botany major at UC oh, nice. Davis. And then my, um, great uncle also like was in the agricultural business. Huh. So I think like they set the stage a little bit that I just wasn't aware and um, through his class, it was a taxonomy of California plants. We you know, went outside every week and yeah. you're identifying plants and it's San Diego. And I, you know, just really in like, at the same time was getting really interested in evolution. And it was like, this is like, so such an amazing space. How could I not want to be part of it? Naturally. Yeah. Beautiful climate, lots of biodiversity. What, what more could you ask for? And Cryptantha specifically is is definitely what um mike simpson was like kind of focusing on but there are, are other um projects in his labs that he was working on like frutillaria and um the kind of sister taxa to cryptantha so the larger group on amsingony so he's done work mm-hmm. across all that space but i was taking as a, a volunteer project taking photos that allowed you to take thin slices of the nutlets which are the the fruit oh, wow. of the plant to get really nice, um, up close and detailed photos of these, these little fruits, the nutlets, um, and they're just beautiful. Like (laughs) they, and so (laughs) that is, I think what hooked me. (laughs) That's great. And I love that the the attention to detail of like the minutia because yeah, you know, big, large flowers, peonies, lilies, they're beautiful. I understand it. I get it. But it's oftentimes those tiny structures in biology that, just blow your mind because of the complexity in such a small space. And I love that that's really what sold you fully and completely into what's really, as we're going to hear, an amazing group of plants. Definitely. Yeah. And, and uh, folks can look at these like nutlets for themselves. Um, <laughs> yes. Dr. Simpson runs a website uh, that you can visit um, that is SI, so like sciences. SCI.SCSU.edu slash plants slash Cryptantha. And then you can look at all these beautiful images that um, across this group, they're pretty fun. Oh, excellent. I will definitely put that in the show notes uh, when this episode goes up. And so we've been talking and hinting at it. What are Cryptantha? What is this group of plants that you've stumbled into and, and are trying to blow the lid off of? Yeah, so their common name is popcorn flowers, because really, if you're kind of standing back afar, you see these little tiny white plants, they kind of just look like little popcorn uh, (laughs) kernels, like pops popcorn kernels in the (laughs) landscape. Um, But they 
are the name, the genus Cryptantha actually means hidden flower. And it mm. comes from some members of the group having cleistogamous flowers or self-pollinated flowers. Cool. And then they also have these open um, pollinated. So they kind of have these different, different mixed conditions for pollination. And right now there are over 100 species in this genus and they are found in North America and South America. And so, and I think what's really fun is that um, there is about one new species being described each year. Whoa. So there's a lot of work to still do in this group. That's pretty rad. Yeah. And, and they're neat. They're, they're related. Like I remember the first time I ever saw one, I went, I didn't know those flowers came in that color. I knew nothing about, about plants at that time, but it was the forget me nots. I had seen them in the garden. My mom grew them. And then you see that and you're like, oh, they come in white too, but they're still recognizable as something in that overall tribe. I don't know where that line gets drawn phylogenetically. Yeah. 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 I love the forget me nots too. They're like the purple color. It's just so, so beautiful. Um, But they, um, yeah, so they're in the the family Baraginaceae, and I know um, you just recently had a show where people, some uh, your your guest really uh, revealed that he's also a Baraginaceae uh, person, yeah. <laughs> and it's a it's we always are looking for friends, <laughs> but it's a really interesting family, and there's actually not an incredibly uh, incredible amount known in this group, hmm. but this is um, and then we work specifically in one like group called Amsinkany and then within the Amsinkany is Cryptantha the genus that I work on which it's one of it's the largest one of the largest genera in the group for right and when we're talking about like groups and tribes it's just kind of where we start to draw lines between genetic units right like you look at the DNA how these things are related and then you know if it's done properly with some attention to detail and, and knowledge obviously of how to do this you can really start binning these things out of like, oh, these are related more so to each other than others, right? Is that how that all works? Yeah, yeah. And you're, yeah, you actually are touching on like a, a really hard topic um, <laughs> of like, how do you group and Ugh. describe what a species is? Everyone's favorite question. Um, and it's one reason I really find Cryptantha specifically really exciting to work on is that most uh, of the species that we recognize are described using morphology mm. and almost always using those nutlets, the, the little fruits and mm. stem vesiture. So looking at trichomes or the plant hairs, looking at the size of the flower, all these characters, that's almost all morphology. Mm. And so we're hoping that these characters, you know, are um, fixed in the population, but there is definitely further work that I hope I can do um, in the future to look at these at the population level to see how well our morphology holds up. Nice. And so as someone coming into this as a grad student, you know, you want to be done at some point, you want to move on to the next chapter of your career. (laughs) And so I could see two sort of sides of the same coin here is one being very excited about the unknowns, right? There's a lot of room for discovery, a lot of new things you can carve off for yourself. The flip side is, is where do you start with so many unknowns? And and so for you personally, coming into this lab, what kind of questions were you trying to answer specifically? Yeah. So uh, when I came in, we were still trying to just understand like a kind of a step up relationship. So how are the members of this group, the Insignia, related to one another? 
And there was some previous work done by um, Dr. Kristen Hassan-Saad-Lehman, who had really used just a few genetic markers, but had a really solid foundation to start working from. Hmm. So we had some really good hypotheses that we were able to test about um, how Cryptantha itself, was it monophyletic, all like closely related and sharing a common ancestor, or were they not each other's closest relatives with what we're calling Cryptantha? <laughs> And so when I entered the lab, it was at the same time that next generation sequencing kind of was on the, the rise in 2012. And so we decided to try to tackle this problem using data, you know, getting as much data as we could to see if we could resolve the relationships around like the backbone, we'll call mm. it. Um, and what, so that was kind of my carved out project is how, can we resolve how these things are related and if cryptantha the genus is monophyletic or not and it is not oh <laughs> we know it's <laughs> it's not monophyletic so we we're still working on it yeah we have good evidence that it's it that cryptantha at least is in two separate clades or, or groups hmm. but um so that's exciting it means that we'll get to name a new genus <laughs> down Ooh. the road so that's Red. people will be upset but it will better reflect evolutionary <laughs> history. So important. Thank you. <laughs> and then, um, but we still really are uncertain about like the relationships of the different genera to one another. So we're mm. kind of still um, bit by bit uh, building on our genetic markers to try to resolve that question. Wow. My hat is off to you, first and foremost. Uh, that is... <laughs> No small task, but you bring up a lot of really interesting points that I think causes some of that upsetness that you'll encounter uh, from time to time, especially in the larger botanical community, but can also lend to some confusion as to why is all of this changing so much. And I think you hinted at it when you said looking for those markers. And so obviously we can refine our searches, but I would assume depending on what segment of the genome, this is the novice of talking here, you look at, you can kind of get different answers, which is why some of these things can jump around. And then really for a group that you said largely relies on morphology, just that first stab at looking at it genetically can really upend some long held traditions and naming. Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. So, you know, we started just as a couple of genes, we got more information, we kind of updated our algorithm and our understanding of the group. And then we'll kind of continue that, that, that process until, you know, we have, and it's, it's always just a hypothesis, right. these relationships, because we were never there when the speciation happened. So it's always going to be a, a hypothesis, a model. And so just those always are changing as we're, we're getting better data and, and more, more information in like a perfect world. We would have, you know, every taxa that ever existed, so all the extant, extant and extinct species. And we'd have like the whole genome. And oh, even yes. then, who knows if we'd be able to solve it. <laughs> I know. I, I've talked with people that have more funding and, and more tools at their disposal. And even then they're like, there's limits to how much we can actually pour into a single genome, let alone resolving multiple, potentially hundreds of species in a group. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Exactly. And so how do you start choosing which markers you're going after. I mean, when you're looking at, okay, all we've had to date is morphology. Now we want to start looking at the DNA. How do you start picking segments to even know if you're in the right ballpark to answer some of these questions or test hypotheses, I guess I should say. Yeah, there's a few different paths 
um, that one can take. And so I think one path that I think is pretty promising, especially in groups like Cryptantha that are are not model organisms, where we're going to use a lot of like herbarium specimens, is using this amazing data set um, that has these conserved genes that we can then use. They're nuclear genes, they're conserved, so you should be able to get a good amount of them from your taxa in question across, you know, whatever span. And then you can use, do phylogenetics that way. What I really hope to do is to um, find a way to make this group um, more of a model, a model clade or a model system. So I hope to to get funding. Um, We don't have that I know of a genome uh, that's been sequenced in this family. So I think that's a, a whole that could be resolved by having a cryptantha genome that's sequenced <laughs> or a couple of them. And for my PhD, I worked in crop systems, um, doing more population genetics. So mm. I really focused to try to learn those skills so that I can hopefully come back and apply it to this system. So in a perfect world, in my perfect world, we get a genome and then we can do just like really low levels of sequencing across the entire genome for all these different species of um, cryptantha and then look at these population structures to see if the morphology holds up. That's cool. I really hope that works out for you in the Me long too. run. But what's neat is you're developing those skill sets, right? And that's what's kind of cool about getting to see behind the scenes of how the science plays out is, you know, DNA runs all life, right? And so you get to kind of play around in this system, play around in this system, but answer big questions regardless of where your interests suddenly lie. And it's so great that it's in this amazing group of plants. But you know, the, the the thing I really admire about work like yours is the skill sets you have to have on both the molecular and the morphological side, which really are two different camps in training, at least. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, I also feel like you have to like practice both of them, <laughs> like keep I'm up sure. to date with it. And so like right now I feel, okay, my molecular, I it can always be better, but like, you know, I've practiced a lot lately and now I, um, luckily with Dr. Simpson, he keeps me on my toes and he'll, you know, send me, <laughs> spend, send me different photos or specimens and say, okay, you know, what species is this? You know, how are we defining it? And yeah, just trying to keep my, my toes in the water and making sure that I remember all the yeah. characteristics that we use to describe this specific group of plants, which is usually kind of um, cryptantha folks usually do not want to identify two species because <laughs> yeah. at the first glance, they all look the same little white flowers, but it's got to look a little closer at their nutlets. <laughs> right, right. And so early days, I know, um, and, and always more work to do. But what I admire is when you see sort of the proof of concept, how good have we been with our morphological characterization to date? The genetics really helps us get it even just that. Do you see hints that Morphologically speaking, some are better than others. Some of those relationships actually might bear fruit or, you know, pun. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was a good one. I like that one. <laughs> Thanks. Not intentional. Uh, I'll take it. Uh, I think they're probably pretty good is my, like, cool. hypothesis working in. But there are these, like, species complexes that have been named by um, researchers that really started the research in this group. Mm. So, um I am Johnson is kind of a an early researcher in this in this specific genus, and 
he named these complexes. So ones like um, the Terracari. So it's a, it's comprised of many different species and then, but they have like similar characteristics. And so it'd be really fun to see like in those complexes, do these species mm. hold out? We kind of know from our phylogenetic analyses where we really just have one species per or one sample per species as a representation that many of them are not like monophyletic or, or, or have like evolutionary signal, but some of them do. Oh. So I think that there is like, yeah, diving into those, the species complexes as well as the species, like what's we currently recognizing as species will be fun. One of my favorite ones, um, we were fortunate enough um, to get National Geographic funding to, as one of the first trips down to South America to see some of these taxa and work with the botanists that um, know these plants in those areas. And there is these two species, Cryptantha diffusa and Cryptantha globulifera, that one researcher called one thing and the other researcher <laughs> called the other, and then they like swapped. <laughs> and so like, is there some sort of, and they're found like going over the Andes um, from like Santiago over to Mendoza into Argentina. And so like, is there a gradient? Is there an elevation? Oh. Um, like response, like is elevation an important part of these species? Like there's a lot. So that's one of my uh, bucket list ones to that's figure cool. out. Yeah, that's exciting. And I'm appreciating that more and more is, you know, are these speciation events or is there something about the environment that's just changing the phenotype and maybe they could reproduce if they were right next to each other kind of thing. It's plants are weird. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best part of them. They are weird. (laughs) And so thinking about what it takes to tackle even a subset of all of the plants in this group, you know, there's only so much time and effort and especially funding to go around. And so you mentioned herbaria, you mentioned some field work. Where do you get a lot of the samples to run the analyses? You know, what are you really falling back on in this kind of work? Yeah, definitely a mix of herbaria herbaria specimens from really around the world. Um, There's a really awesome group in Germany that has done some really uh, great work in this, the same group as well that we work with. And um, in South America, uh, there's also um, some really great botanists. We just actually published a a new species with one of the botanists in Santiago in Johnsonella, which is a, a sister genera. And then we have done our best to try to do as much field work as possible. So mm-hmm. in Cal, these are really kind of restricted to Western North America and Western South America. And California seems to be kind of a hot spot. There's a lot of different taxa. And so it was nice that we were <laughs> local and could go yeah. collect these populations and um, try to just visit them, even if we weren't collecting to see if we could view, you know, any ecology, um, you know, just any like pollinators that are visiting them. We really don't know like anything about it in that sense. And then, yeah, we've been fortunate to go to South America. I've gone twice um, and collaborators have gone a few more times. So collecting with folks there and um, typically we'll like make sure there's, you know, specimens that are left in the country of origin. And then if there's any extras, we can bring back to easily the San Diego herbarium or the San Diego state herbarium. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show you that it's, there's never like a one is better than the other. Like this takes collaboration. This takes 
multiple approaches, multiple types of data. I mean, shout out to herbaria, but also shout out to just getting in the field and observing these plants. I mean, that's a lot, but it's a, it's great to see that none of this is siloed at any point in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Just more opportunities for like more folks to, to participate and work together. And like, I think doing science with people is like Mm. way more fun than on your own. (laughs) So stressful on your own. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, just the fact that you're finding how much is not known is it's exciting, but also kind of sad, but also kind of exciting again, because there is still so much for people to go out and learn. Like it's this idea of low hanging fruit, especially in the plant world, we didn't eat it all. It's still out there. And it's a matter of taking time, getting into the field, spending time in herbaria, looking at minutia. So really people can carve off chunks of research. It doesn't have to be one lane or the other. There's a way to fit into a lot of this because we just don't know most things about most organisms. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things I really like about the group is that there's a lot of space for like, even just observing, like sitting and watching these plants, like kind of just take, like taking it easy and just really appreciating like the little things about them because they're, especially because they're so small. And a lot of times people kind of ignore them because they're a little bit difficult, (laughs) like just to, to, to watch them. And, um, I worked with an awesome undergraduate at San Diego State who is literally like counting, plant hairs and looking at like how the plant hairs were growing. Are they like, you know, oppressed to the stem or are they more, you know, kind of straight out from the stem and like these little details that you really have to kind of take it back to a lab setting or somewhere with a microscope to, to get to that detail. So it makes them hard, which I think is why there maybe is a lot of open (laughs) questions, Sure, but I like it because it kind of makes you slow down a little bit. Yeah. Music to my ears. I mean, the amount of natural history knowledge that can feed and help inform theory. I mean, take the time, do yourself a favor, do the science a favor, just sit and watch. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so you mentioned that these plants, they're largely West Coast type habitats, but ranging quite a distance north to south america is a lot of ground to be covered and what's also exciting is it's not just how are these species related how do they get to where they are that's another really exciting chapter of the research that you do and so where do you start with that <laughs> yeah well where do we start no that it's a so it's been like a long withstanding question in the in the field broadly just disjunct distributions. Um, and so specifically Cryptantha has an amphi- American amphitropical distribution. So it's found um, really just in Western North America, Western South America, but not in the intervening tropic oh, wow. area. So we don't huh. see any there, there's no fossils from that region. So we, you know, we think it seems it really just is those two disjunct distributions. And this is a common distribution for many plants to have and um, researchers and and botanists like Peter Raven are very famous for asking questions and trying to to figure out why these plants have this distribution. And so with my research, we tried to ask that question as well. And we found that just for this this one um, group, we were able to find four independent uh, dispersal events from oh. North to South America. So every time it goes from North to South and there were 
they seem to possibly correlate with like the uprise of the Andes and wow. different environmental condition changes, but we don't know how they're getting there. We don't really see birds eating them. Like they can't really be carried by like insects. They're too, you know, too big, these nutlets. So wow. We don't know how they're doing it. <laughs> they but are they getting are, there. But they are. And that's what's <laughs> wild to me is that, yeah, it had to happen. We have the evidence. They're still living down there. And the fact that there's this intervening space where it's you'd think, okay, they just rode the road slowly. <laughs> nope. Um, and so when you say looking for evidence, I mean, what does it look like when you're looking at the genetics of an organism to even be able to say, they started in North America and dispersed to South America, let alone you think there might've been four events where this occurred. Yeah. So we can do kind of a, a reconstruction analysis of where the plants exist by knowing uh, where like ancestral plants existed or um, where it could have been found by looking at where we know current plants are found. And so what we found is that we had um, four clades that were all South America plants. Mm. And then the sister um, lineage to that clade was a North American plant. So they were that, so we can use that as evidence that they, some ancestor somewhere in time got down to South America. And then that, that ancestor radiated into multiple species. And so one thing that I, uh, I'm current talking about, like getting tools to be able right. to eventually um, try to ask these questions is I'm currently learning niche modeling techniques during my postdoc so that we can maybe even go back in Kaptampa and see if we can model what the environments were like when we, that ancestor arrived in South America. So maybe we can gain more information about how it got there by knowing what it arrived to. Dang, you like carving out things that could be their own careers and turning them into one <laughs> niche modeling. Cool. All right. <laughs> But that's awesome because then you start getting at, okay, we're studying evolution. How does evolution happen? Natural selection. Why is, what's the nature, the habitat they're growing in? What did they, wh why did this one go this direction? And yeah, that that is so cool. Yeah. And so there's the South America taxa are really fun. Um, there's one clade that is characterized possibly by having higher chromosome counts. So maybe mm. it's correlated with polyploidy, which is always uh, uh, an interesting and fun topic. So maybe yeah. it had like extra space in its genome to do interesting things because it's also a group that has cleistogamy. So this is like a, oh. a really, so maybe there wasn't, you know, pollinators available, like so selection acted, you know, we can, we can guess of course, because we weren't there, but yeah. um, there's a lot of really fun traits to, to think about with these that could be correlated with these dispersal events as well. Yeah. And then, you know, it kind of reels back this idea of sort of, I know my students sometimes would get very annoyed at why are you so obsessed with the minutia of these species? Well, you never know. That could be the reason why. I mean, just the fact that they make flowers that don't have to open or be pollinated. Yeah. That makes invading a new area a lot easier than if you need two of the same kind, at least and a pollinator to do the work for you these things matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you go to like the chicken of the egg, right? Like right. did that happen before? It's <laughs> like, who knows? But Ooh. it is like so fun. It's like, but this is why I think this is like such a great group to work in. And like, 
hopefully I can uh, continue like working and, and developing genomic resources to really try to get at these questions at this level. Right. So is that's really what you do mean when you say a model organism, a, a, a group of organisms that allow us to test big theories in ecology? I mean, they might have done their own thing with it, but here's how this plays out. Do we see evidence for it, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Oof. Very exciting. And so really that's going to take that genome level analysis across a wider spectrum and, you know, time and effort, of course. I think it's going to, yeah, it's going to take that. It's also going to take like, hopefully, like, I I definitely can't claim to be an ecologist, but hopefully I can make friends with some ecologists that can help, um, yeah, think about these plants um, at the ecology level and help to address those questions at that angle and together can, can hopefully get at some answer some questions. I'm sure along the way it will yeah. open, you know, 12 more, but right, right. that's, that's the fun. <laughs> that's science and that's how careers are made. But yeah, I love it. Collaboration because it's not my science is better than your science or this is less interesting. It's whatever float your boat first and foremost, go with whatever lights a fire in your belly, but also understand that there's bridges between all of these. They may not be obvious, but it takes one new question to go, Hmm, maybe you should talk to that person over there. Yeah, exactly. I, Definitely wouldn't even have been able to like think of all of this when I was like starting to work <laughs> in the group. Like it was just, you know, I just trying to learn this species was enough of a challenge. Yeah, I imagine. Um, but then, yeah, you just take it, you know, day by day, those turns into weeks, those turned into, you know, to years. And then <laughs> really kind of can see these, these larger picture questions form. But it's a, I definitely feel fortunate that it's also a really great group group to work in where we all like have set that expectation that we're like working together and yeah. working collaboratively where there's no like fighting or competition that we're just no trying to get <laughs> yeah just trying to trying to answer these questions and figure out these little plants that are yeah. crazy Oh, that's awesome. And yeah, it, I before we hit the record button, you asked what attracted me to Cryptantha because it's not but it's one of those things you talk to someone who loves them and you're like, this is obviously amazing. And that's just it. It may seem obscure to you right now, but go talk to someone or look them up and and find out what they're curious about in regard to that organism. And dang, I mean, I'll never look at a cryptantha the same way again. And I've read some of your research. So this is like (laughs) proof is in the pudding. Oh, that's so great. No, if I could make everybody, because it's like, it's so important because these are plants that like, and there's so many plants like this out there that, you know, folks just walk by and maybe you don't, you, how could everybody know you can't. And so hopefully if like folks can hear these little stories, yeah. maybe if you don't know about the plant that you walk by, like, that might have this like huge story that I don't know anything about folks will care about conserving that space or, you know, just being a little bit more considerate to the environment around them. Totally. Yeah. I mean, every organism has a role to play. It's doing something. It all has an origin story. That's probably just as exciting, if not more wild than the next. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so we know where you would like to go with this research, but if people want to follow that trajectory, keep a finger on the pulse of the work that you're putting out, where do you recommend they go looking? Yeah. So, um, I think one of the the best places is, uh, Dr. Michael Simpson really keeps his website on this group up to date. And so you can find that at sci.sucu.edu slash plants slash cryptantha. And you're able to scroll through all the different photos of these species. Um, there are maps, 
especially the South America are in both Spanish and English. So accessible to hopefully more folks to see. And then also is a link to the Amsinkany working group (laughs) and the Braginales working group. Excellent. So if anyone wants to get in contact and wants to work or talk more about Borages, anybody is welcome, (laughs) is is excited (laughs) to talk about it because we don't get the chance too much. Open door policy. And that's the way it's going to make these organisms more popular. So wonderful. Well, Dr. Mabry, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about it today. Thank you for celebrating these plants with such passion. It's infectious. I love it. Uh, But thank you for all the work that you're doing and are going to continue to be doing. Keep it up. Yeah. Thank you for all your work. This is amazing. And thank you so much for having me. I know this is an amazing podcast and you reach so many people. So much appreciated. Super important work. Hey, (laughs) it's as good as the people I have on. So thank you so much for contributing. All right, well, hang in there, stay healthy, and go Cryptantha. Yay, yeah. (laughs) Cheers. Thanks. What did I tell you? Fascinating group of plants, and who better to sing their praises than Dr. Mabry? She is a true champion of this group, and I wish her all of the best in all of the efforts she is putting forward to answer some really big questions about an obscure group of plants. I thank Dr. Mabry for taking time out of her busy schedule to talk with us. And of course, all of the relevant links can be found in the show notes over at indefensiveplants.com slash podcast. If you're enjoying conversations like this and you want to ensure that they can continue to happen, consider becoming a patron of the show over at patreon.com slash indefensiveplants. I could not be doing this without the support of all of my patrons. They are truly what makes this show possible. You can also support the show by picking up a copy of my book, some of our customizable merch or stickers, and all of those links are in the show notes over at indefensiveplants.com as well. But that is it for me this week. I thank you all for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and keep checking back in. But until next time, hang in there, stay healthy, and get outside if you can. This is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.